It's Monday, May 11th, Fantasy Focus, Baseball Podcast, yay! Fantasy Focus, Baseball Podcast, yay! All right, that was uh, singing Tristan H. Cockroft, uh, letting you know today's Monday, May 11th, 2020, and this is the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. You want to tell me what that song is about? Because I, sometimes I just don't know what's going on in that really large head of yours. I don't do I don't do great with Pearl Jam, but you know, got That's a lot. Pearl of Jam, okay. Yeah. All right, well, maybe this week. Last week I listened to a lot of Stone Temple Pilots because you recommended it on Monday's show. So maybe this week I do like some Pearl Jam songs. People say, "What's your favorite bands?" Like I like songs from every, like all these different bands. It's like, but I, will I listen to an hour of Pearl Jam? Probably not. But I'm sure I could find five songs I really like. Um, like I did not, last week. Not difficult from the Pearl Jam catalog to find five good songs. Not difficult. no, I, I like them. I just like sometimes I don't realize. Oh, that was Pearl Jam. That's kind of how I'm. Oh, that was Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, this is the Cranberries. Like I just don't know. <laughs> and oh, it's just like Cranberries. Yeah, I don't. I got know into a, so that. I'm not only getting into rabbit holes on Baseball Reference. I'm also getting into rabbit holes on Spotify. So I was doing a run, and then I got tired, and I sat down the curb. And I just started listening to a song, and then it's like recommending other bands, you know. And then I started – and then I listened to an hour of Three Dog Night. And I was like, where did that come from? But I was like, hey, that's – there's like seven or eight songs by Three Dog Night before we were born. I'm like, I like that song. Oh, I like that song. I like that song too. That's kind of how my life has been. Basically, the last two months have been rabbit holes without real – not literally, but figuratively. Anyway, that's Tristan. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what do you expect from me? It's been two months of this. Um, oh, come they, on. We're having fun with it. What the heck? <laughs> Bands, no, baseball, I, you know. I am having fun. I, I just – I there's no live sports, but apparently there might be at some point in the next six weeks. Anyway, we'll discuss that on today's show. Kyle Sapi researches and produces the fine show. And I'm Eric Carabell. Somebody had a host. Uh, let's talk. Let's get right to it uh, because um, there were reports over the weekend from our own Jeff Passan and Colin McDaniel that baseball wants to return uh, spring training in, say, about a month, mid to late June. And July, they'd like to start playing. And there were two things. And I, I want to be optimistic. I want baseball. Okay, I'm not trying to be – people think – people on Twitter, and they're all negative anyway, want to say that I'm being pessimistic. I'm not. I just – if one person gets it, on this baseball team, how does the rest of the team play? That's my concern is that we we go through all this to start it up, and then they start it up, and it shuts down. But we'll see. Premier League wants to start now in two weeks. That's soccer, Tristan. So um, let me I'm ask familiar. you. I'm familiar, yeah. So the two things that jumped out to me about the proposal to play in the next seven weeks was, one, universal DH, and that means that, the, that, that means pitchers will never hit again. The DH will stay for 2021, I believe. And I think there's an unintended consequence there that I'll get to. The other thing, divisional realignment, probably just for 2020, um, which would affect things, obviously. You know, different teams will be playing it. No teams will be playing at cores, but different teams will be playing different teams that they're normally used to playing. So when we say, like, the AL Central, oh, what a weak division. Well, now there's no AL Central for 2020. So what are the things that jumped out to you? Right. And that's, I mean, assuming that it's going to be that as opposed to them remaining within their own divisions, like AL East plays AL East. I'm not, I'm not sure how they're going to break down those divisions, but I think the weights of the competition on your schedule are going to have a greater level of relevance than they did before. Um, so I actually pulled from our projections what the traditional divisions would be. And for example, you've got the American League East. 
their pitching actually had given up the most runs. So that's an area to exploit for the hitters in that division. In the National League East, they were one of the highest scoring divisions. So that's one that is going to be tricky for the pitchers within that division. You're going to have to put a couple of weights for that. The Central Divisions, the National League Central, did you know it's been projected for the fewest runs scored and the fewest runs allowed? So there's going to be a lot of matchup opportunities there. These are things that you could get little advantages of in season, depending on how they play this out. And Eric, as you said, they could shuffle up the divisions uh, and and deal with that and the like. The DH is a pretty big deal. Uh, it does grant more playing time to some interesting names that were back-end players in the NL leagues. And the other thing, too, is that if you drafted your league already, you could be getting kind of a hidden benefit from some of these players. We could dig into some of the individual names if we want. I think that's what people want. I mean, we do have a question, uh, Hash Brown today, which NL players, this is from John, uh, which NL players would move furthest up your ranks if a universal DH were to happen? The problem I have with that is, like, Kyle Schwarber, the Cubs would be nuts to not use Kyle Schwarber as a DH, a terrible outfielder. So um, Kyle Schwarber's value, though, would not go up. It would be the value of the player playing left field who wouldn't normally normally be playing. And on the Cubs, I don't see one, really. So, like, who is actually gaining so much playing time that it would matter? We can go through team by team if we want, but I don't know yeah. if that's necessary. That's, like, that's Schwarber, Ryan Braun, like, all right, I mean, do you want to do it that way? Well, um, well, let's deal with those two teams first. So, so Cubs, they would probably use a rotation. You're going to get Victor Caratini, who's a decent bat at, at catcher. He might become relevant. You'll see Steven Souza get some time in there. They could throw David Bodie in there at other positions and bump other guys over to DH. That'll be a rotational team. Braun will be the DH. Avisel Garcia. I mean, the question about Garcia versus Braun and how they deal with that cluttered outfield. Um, the unintended consequence that I alluded to earlier, Tristan, is that what if they play an 80-game season and Schwarber doesn't get 20 games in the outfield or Braun? What would that mean for 2021? And as I was thinking about that, I do my best thinking in the showers. I just got out of it. And I'm thinking, well, that's one unintended co- consequence, but why are we going to use a 20-game rule for 2021? Shouldn't it be like 10 or because of half a season? So I don't think ESPN is going to change its rules or it's like – but should individual leagues change their rules? Because the 20 games in an 80-game season to get eligibility seems almost unfair. Mm-hmm. And that and- decision is something we're going to have to make down the road. Uh, two parts to that. You mentioned, does an individual league change its mind? Well, you can't do that in our game currently. But we will have to deal with that as a question. I, I, I'm i guessing, and, and again, we're trying to take the optimistic approach here. I'm guessing this... 80-ish game schedule is what we're going to get if we get baseball this year. And if that's the case, it's pretty easy. You slash the 20-game requirement in half, and you give players the position eligibility off 10 games. So who are some of the players that would gain value here? We mentioned Braun and Schwarber. They're not gaining value. I mean, Braun will play more than he would have ordinarily. But I'm thinking of like like Ty France of the Padres, who doesn't have a place to play, but now maybe he would. Maybe being a platoon. Hunter Pence um, would be one of those guys who yeah, yeah. The, the loser of the Atlanta Braves third base competition could be the DH. Austin Riley is not a good defender. Maybe he could be their DH. Uh, Jay Bruce of the Phillies can't play regular, although they could bring up Alec Bohm. Cespedes, who are the players that you say would add the most? Um, who would you move up in your rankings now that you know that there's going to be a DH for 2020? So uh, two guys immediately come to mind for me. One is Nick Senzel. This is the way for Nick Senzel to find his way into the lineup pretty regularly. 
Uh, even to a lesser extent, I think Josh Van Meter could get a little bit more playing time. But it's a cluttered outfield. Senzel's the key one for fantasy. Dominic Smith of the Mets. Yes. That's a guy who has done a lot to convince me he's learned to hit at the major league level, but he just doesn't have a position, and a lot of it has to do with the defensive questions. Yeah, but let me ask you, like, in reality, so I'm looking where Dominic Smith is in your first base rankings, and he's, like, way back. He's number 37. Are you telling me you you would rather have Dominic Smith than, like, Brandon Belt or Daniel Murphy, who have regular jobs, if there's a DH? Because he might play just as much of those guys. So, in theory, we would have to say – Yes, I'd rather have Dominic Smith than, you know, somebody than Yandy Diaz or Eric Hosmer was already playing, was doing nothing. Some of these guys that might play more would be more valuable. Howie Kendrick, Jesus Aguilar, um, maybe even Dominic Smith. Wouldn't Dominic Smith be more valuable than Eric Hosmer now? Potentially, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I like him as a value because I I think that even when we make the adjustments for rankings for a potential DH, people are not going to bring that gap that close. So I will pass on Hosmer and happily take Smith what will be five plus rounds later. I think he's got the potential to be at least as good. Very comparable guys probably belong in the same tier. Um, I had another guy who came. uh, Oh, oh, oh. I'm going to bump up some of the Rockies. The Garrett Hampson question comes into play here because that's a natural case for Daniel Murphy to DH. It is. Um, Sam Hilliard also trying to fight for playing time in that Rockies outfield, but you're right. In fact, Daniel Murphy would play more in theory because, you know, he's not going to be a good first baseman. Um, Anyway, um, we'll get to trivia here in a second. Is there anything else here about the DH or that the divisional alignment that you would – actionably change rankings. I mean, Dominic Smith probably doesn't get ranked by you in a 10-team standard league, even if we thought he was going to play regularly. And the Mets are going to screw that up anyway. They're going to play Cespedes over Dominic Smith. You know that. So, like, I can't imagine myself ranking Jay Bruce because I think he's going to play a lot. I just don't think that would happen. Right. In a deeper league, yes. But we question whether they even belong near, say, a top 300 uh, and I think it becomes a stronger case for some of these players. I think we're going to see three to five players get the benefit from that if there is indeed the DH, which I think there is. And I agree with you that I think long term it's going to be here to stay. So that'll strengthen some of the keeper values. That, that whole Bryce Harper question we had, where is he down the road? Uh, I, I'm very interested to see what happens with the schedule. And I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I looked at it as if if teams are indeed going to play AL East, NL East, that's it. They don't play out of division. Central, Central, West, West. Putting aside for a second the shuffle up of all teams, I could see a 15-game schedule against in-division teams, four, te- four games apiece against the uh, interleague teams there so that you can fit that fifth team that doesn't have a divisional opponent to play on that given day. And I think that's really going to come down to strength of divisions. I think there's going to be an opportunity for a lot of matchup play in the central divisions. So keep an eye on how that gets broken down. So who would you move up or down based on that? Um, like that's, that, that's all they want to hear is like, what yeah. does it mean for fantasy? And I don't know if I can tell you anything that it means for fantasy right now. I don't, I don't think I would move anybody based on divisional realignment. It's not going to move guys up substantially, but it's going to further strengthen the Mike Clevenger discussion we had. Remember, he was questionable for the start of the season. Now he's healthy. And he's in a division where he's going to play a lot of lighter hitting teams, including in the interleague games. That's something that strengthens his value. Uh, I 
I probably believe a little bit more in some of the National League Central teams. I, I kind of like a lot of the Cardinals staff for value picks. I might be a little bit more apt to spend the extra buck on players like that. Frankly, the biggest winner of, an, of a universal DH might be Tommy Edmond. He would get regular at-bats at the top of the lineup. They could DH Matt Carpenter. Tommy Edmond is just killing me in one of my sims when I had to play against him. And I, I'm just thinking that's a guy who is – he's right now leading the majors in batting average in the – out of the park baseball 21 simulations on baseball reference. So we seg into that. And, you know, Tommy Evan batting 377 with some pop and speed. That's, it's a guy I, I'm interested in, but like if it's a universal DH, he's going to play even more. He's going to be a regular player is basically what I'm trying to say. Clearly, and, clearly the NFBC people who put the ADP where it was. And remember, we talked, we thought it was being way overdrafted. They obviously knew something we didn't. <laughs> yeah, not anymore is not being, I, I just, I look at his minor league numbers and I say, this is all about the baseball. I, you know, again, when I look at the simulations going on, I don't know what baseball they're using. Are they using 2019s or 2018s? So to me, it's almost like irrelevant because I don't, if I don't know what the baseball is going to be in 2020 for reals, how can I project? Mm-hmm. So any simulate, any projections you or Todd Zola or anyone else does, it, it, it depends on the baseball. Actually, you know what that strikes me is that if we only had divisional play, what Coors Field does to the Western divisions, especially the NL West, I'll have to talk to Todd about that. That's because what if there's no Coors Field at all. What if they play all the games in Florida and Arizona? Right. I mean, right. Nolan Arenado is probably not a first round pick. I will definitely if look if they play only in Florida and Arizona, I'm taking my pitchers from Florida and I'm taking my hitters from Arizona. There's no question about that. Right, but what do you do with Rockies? If they don't have any games in Denver, is Arenado a first rounder? Is Trevor Story a second rounder? They're they're more normal players now. And Herman Marquez might be a top twenty starting pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Or John Gray, John Snow, who we rip constantly. <laughs> yeah. Put him in a neutral ballpark. Now he's still messed up. I mean, he had better numbers at home than on the road. But like, maybe he figures it out. There's going to be so much small sample size. Of- like ridiculousness in an 80 game season. Look, I want it anyway. I'm just saying it's going to be a little bit crazy. Let's move on. I mean, anything in the Sims that you've noticed recently? Let's talk about this one in particular. Edmund batting 377. Ozzy Albies is 363. That's that's high for Ozzy Albies. I didn't expect that. Kettle Marte 361. It's they're played so 200 plate appearances as the leader. So they're like um, they're not even a third into the season, but. There's like 10 guys batting 340. What is going on with that? I mean, the baseball has to be what it was last year based on this. Yeah, I would guess definitely. I, I'm, I'm enjoying of any of the notes here that, that Kyle had given us the Dylan C stat, 50 Ks and six, 36 and a third innings. Yeah, I mean, uh, what else? Did, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, he's got Randall Grichuk is going nuts here, pitting fourth in the order right or right after Vlad Guerrero. That's pretty interesting. Um Ahmed Rosario had a combo meal last night. Combo um, meal. Da, 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 da. I don't think that's the song, dude. Combo. Combo. <laughs> it's a combo meal. Home run and steal. That's better. Um, the quality starts leaderboard. There's some names you expect and some names you don't. Verlander, Scherzer, Bueller, and then Otani, Porcello, Kikuchi. Now, we spend way too much time talking. Porcello is on my TV right now, by the way. I'm not sure why. Oh, David Ortiz is 500th home run. Um, but you mentioned Dylan Cease, who with a K9 better than Chapman, uh, which is interesting. But 
Otani and Kikuchi are on here. I don't even think how many. If it was a full season, did we think Otani was going to make more than 20 starts? I don't think so. So in a half season, do we think he's going to be a regular member of the rotation? Because his value could go way up or down depending on what you believe is going to happen in half a season. Yeah, I am fascinated to see what Shohei Otani can do this year because they're, they're, I mean, there's effectively no cap on him in an 80-game season. I think the Angels will be smart about him, but they might be smart by putting him in the rotation regularly every fifth day and just keeping him on a pitch count of 90 or so. There's also a hash brown here from Bill as a hitter only. Who is better over the next five seasons, Otani or Joe Adele, his teammate? Um, we, uh, we don't have any idea if Joe Adele is playing in the major leagues this season. He's a triple-A outfielder for the Angels. We think he's going to be great. He's one of the top prospects. Uh, fantasy manager drooling at the site, at the statistical site of him. Um, but he's still unproven. We have no idea if he's going to be able to hit major league off-speed stuff, stay healthy, uh, or steal bases. If he's stealing five or 10 bases a year, then that's not what we want. We need him to steal 25. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't say as a hitter only, Bill. Basically, you're drafting in a dynasty right now, Tristan. Would you rather have Otani or Odell? Otani. But that's just, he's proven a bit at the major league level already. And I think there really is a path to continued greatness if he can make this work as a pitcher as well. And as a hitter only, wouldn't you take Otani over Odell now because we just don't know what Odell's going to be? Yeah, I I think it's – when you ask me the question as a hitter only, do we assume that he has shelved pitching and there are absolutely no restrictions on the hitting? If that's the case, it's definitely Otani. But if you're telling us to just strip the pitching stats from his game, it's a loaded question. Um, uh, Kyle notes here on this sheet, in a shortened season, will innings eaters be more or less valid? Maybe that's a hash brown from Kyle. Um, Because – I, I think if they stuff the season with no days off and double headers here and there, that there be, there will be teams going to a six man rotation. The Dodgers are going to a six man rotation, so I don't think innings eaters are going to get the chance to be innings eaters in a way. Like Ver, they're not going to let Verlander throw 100 pitches every outing for Houston because they think they're a playoff team. Why why burn them out? Yeah, the the point about the jam packed schedule. If we have double headers neutralizing the two-start week advantage. Well, I'll tell you this. Actually, a jam-packed schedule would benefit two-start pitchers, but it just wouldn't benefit those guys because you just can't force an extra start out of guys. It just happens to be where you fall on the calendar. It's just going to give you more opportunities to go elsewhere. So I agree. I think that they're not going to be more valuable. I think they're going to be less valuable here. I think the guys who had caps that they were facing are going to get the biggest benefit of all because we ranked them assuming that Lance McCullers was only going to be able to pitch 130, 140 innings. That could take him through an entire year. Yeah, I think we're going to see, and I've mentioned this on previous shows, young pitchers like Nate Pearson, Spencer Howard, Mackenzie Gore, their teams are going to promote them aggressively, right? maybe even for the start of this half season because they're not, their innings limits are, are gone. There's no reason not to promote these guys. They're not going to go over their innings limits anyway. So um, I, I, I'm moving those guys up my rankings because I think that's one of the major changes that's going to happen. I, I don't know why. I mean, why would the Phillies not promote Howard? They don't have – I mean, I guess they think they have three reliable starting pitchers. They think Jake Arrieta, who – I'm playing a sim right now in Dynasty League Baseball, and Jake Arrieta is, is so bad. Like, and then he got hurt for two months. Just unusable. He was unusable. His ratings were so bad that I just couldn't even use him. I, I'm using Spencer Howard, who is, is one in six in 10 starts. 
Um, and the bullpen, my bullpen ERA is over five. It's not going well, basically, is what I'm trying to tell you. But I do think that young pitchers, young prospect pitchers, are more likely to get promoted than Joe Adele and Dylan Carlson types because I think the Angels and the Cardinals don't – I think they have hitters that can play, but they may not have the pitchers for the depth. Yeah. Also, I, I think the depth of the roster that's granted to teams is going to come into play here. I mean, I saw that 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 note about they were considering even a forty man active roster. I, I, I mean, bet it's thirty. I bet it's fifteen pitchers and fifteen hitters. I could see that. Yeah, but even then, that's going to benefit the younger players, especially for the competitive teams. That I, I don't know because in the clock, if you're the Cardinals and you're not going to play Dylan Carlson regularly, why would you have him up? You could just have like a fourth or fifth outfitter on the roster to pinch run or pinch hit. Why would you need? Why would you waste his service time? First of all, there's going to be a fight between the Players Association and MLB yep. about salaries and, and money because both sides are so greedy over money. And don't side with the owners, people. I just It's unbelievable what what people are – what Passon is tweeting about the, the money differences here and they want to lower salaries because they're not going to have attendance. I, I just – you know how much money these guys have. Well, players too. The something. players and the players already lost something with the what happened with the MLB draft being shorted to, shortened to five rounds. Oh, and that's a joke. They're already move. taking a huge hit, and then what's being done with the you know non drafted free agents afterward with a capped salary or twenty thousand dollar cap? Yeah, really. Each team is not even saving a million dollars to get I the draft worry. from down to five rounds. That's unbelievable. I worry a little bit based on the fact that the the labor deal is up next year. So. I, this is Some of this one, never going to be the same. This is one thing that I worry is the obstacle to playing baseball this year. Is Funny. this part? Yes, is this part of the discussion? Is being able to come to an agreement on the money? I'm starting to worry that that's the biggest obstacle. I agree. I mean, for obviously, the virus it should be the biggest obstacle, but agreeing on money terms, I you know, two greedy sides. That's what it's going to be about. I mean, they should be whatever. Um, let's get a trivia question in here because we're already halfway through the show and we're going to run out of time to answer it. So, um, trivia, you mean trivia that Eric Carabell won't know. You you don't have to use my last name and you could add Kyle in there because he's not going to know it either. Um, what is your trivia? Too many syllables for that. You know, I'm trying to butcher every Pearl Jam song I can. All right. Kyle Stoppy has fewer syllables than Eric Carabell or actually they have the same. That well, no, Carabell. Stoppy. It's not enough to. Uh, yeah, it doesn't work. Yours is perfect. Kyle Stoppy, Carabell. Each have three syllables. So you could have gotten his name in there and taken my last name out. Kyle is two syllables. By the way, I think from now on, Kyle, you should have to sing the hash browns. So maybe we'll start that on today's show. That's an interesting take, but you do have Tyler Check out as your title, so I might just listen to anything you say. Uh, Let's listen to the trivia now, Tristan, that we won't know. What do you got? All right. I would like you both to name the uh, five players last season who had home run streaks of at least five games. <laughs> five players did that? Five players. That's, I was very surprised to learn that this was comparable to any year this century. I would have thought last year we'd have a lot of guys who had long home run streaks. And you know, the the eight games in a row is the record. Well, five players got to a streak of at least five games, and I'd like you to name them. Uh, that, it's just a random thing. Well, it's, like, gonna be, yeah. it's, it's not like saying, like, you know, who who were who were the five players in the Von Hayes five for one? That's a an, an actual answer <laughs> that we could think about. 
And but you, you've got this ridiculous. Like I, I can we can name fifty hitters and not come up with this. But I, okay, no, let's re- let's see if you remember your twenty nineteen rotisserie or points league experience. If you had these guys, you remember and you loved these hot. Streets. I just I I don't think about home run game streaks like that. I mean, I'm like Jorge Soler probably had one, but I don't remember. Who's going to make Yeah, I don't know. Who's going to make it? Because he, he was like, third in the majors in home runs. But uh, we'll get to that after the hash browns. What uh, what do we got today, Kyle? Yeah, we've got Jesse for the first hash brown. He wants to know, if you were the commissioner of a keeper league, how would you adjust, if at all, contracts and the like for a 60 to 80 game season this year? Man, I don't... I don't know. Tristan, you run a league like that, though, with contracts. What are you doing? So in my league, we uh, we weight the contracts based on the performance of the player in the season. So that's why I go back to that 80. I, I kind of hope it is that number if it's not 162, because then it's easy. You just double the numbers. That'd be the best I can come up with here. Um, if it is simply locked in contracts. So, for example, you have a guy in a five-year contract and you had him for three this year and six next year and nine the next year. Well, we're playing a season that counts as a year. Them's the break. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that part. Yeah. All righty. Next one. Dave notes that you both seem bullish on the Marlins staff as a whole. Eric wrote last week that he likes Alcantara. Could be a top 40 pitcher next season. And flirt with a sub three ERA. He wants to know what Tristan thinks of the Alcantara call and who his favorite pitcher on the staff is. Yeah, I like the Alcantara. Uh, Al- Al- Alcantara. I think it's Alcantara. I don't. I've got to look it up. I know. I know past Alcantaras were Alcantara. Anyway, um, I like him because people aren't thinking about him as a potential breakthrough. They think that there is a lower ceiling than some of the other guys in that rotation. But if you look at the metrics. His stuff was very underrated last season. And I think that they look at him as the locked-in lead guy. So I kind of like that top 40 ceiling. I think that he's got a decent shot at it. Uh, my favorite is Caleb Smith. Yeah, it's got to be Caleb Smith. Yeah. I'm a very big Caleb Smith fan. I'll deal with the fact that he has some absences, had injury questions last year. But he has some real swing and miss stuff. Very, very good pitcher. At the same time, I'll tell you this. I am pumping the brakes a little bit on the Marlins, trying not to get out of control, because last year I remember saying that I thought that the Marlins would have more members of their rotation in the player Raider top 40 starting pitchers than the Braves did. And Yeah, that wasn't even close. And, and, and really, their offense is the same thing. I mean, as I was writing about it, I realized there's only one Marlin going in the first 15 rounds of normal drafts. VR is it. They have no other hitters. Brian Anderson's the only other hitter getting drafted at all. And Caleb Smith's the only pitcher getting drafted at all. They're not even – nobody's even messing with Kinsler, and I wouldn't either. So there's like two or three Marlins. I mean, you could argue, even though the Marlins have a future, we can see a future, that just as many Orioles are being drafted as Marlins. Mm-hmm. Well, now, like Baltimore's best hitter is not obviously going to play this season, he says. So that's that's different. But how many, like – maybe I'm wrong. Are there, I mean, is John Means going to be drafted by, in fantasy? I don't – maybe he won't be. Not in our game, no. There are a lot of people who like him as a, a good value pick. Very late. Any or- so what Orioles are actually being drafted now? Maybe, maybe I was wrong about that. I don't- closer. No, but there isn't. No. I mean, like Hunter Harvey, maybe. No. It's possible that no Orioles are going to be taken in, in a standard league. Did I write that? I probably – did I do the NL East? The AL East? I don't even know. Gosh, I think I think you were right. I don't think that – Maybe I haven't gotten to the Hail East yet. No, you did because you had a bold Yankees call. about. Right. Uh, so what did I say? Um, yeah, that was the first division. I oh, played. Renato Nunez. He's a borderline pick. Intenting. 
really? Yeah, I guess. I had Austin Hayes second. Yeah, I did note in the article that no Orioles went in the last draft that I was in. So, I mean, see, with Mancini being out, and again, we hope he gets better. Um, that changes changes everything. Okay. All right. Um, I don't remember what the question was, but next. <laughs> last question here because you ate up a few of mine earlier in the show. Aaron wants to know what your perfect draft would look like when you're constructing a pitching staff using standard ESPN assigned auction values. First thing I would note is that I never go into an auction saying I will spend only $80 on pitching or only $70 on pitching. And I look around the room at like when I'm at labor or towel wars, Tristan, and it seems like everybody else is doing that. So, and again, I've never won labor or towel. So am I doing something wrong there? You tell me when you go into an auction and you've won towel wars and labor multiple times, do you say, 70 is my limit. For example, $70 is my limit for pitching, or do you just kind of bob and weave based on, on the auction prices? My, my, my argument would be, say, I, I, say I'll only pay $40 for Trout, and I get him for 35 That means I have five extra dollars for pitching or five extra dollars for hitting or just whatever. I tend to spend the most money in these auctions on hitting than anyone else does. But when I look around... Everybody else is saying sixty six point three two percent is what I'm going to spend on pitching, and that's it. And I'm like, well, I just spend whatever I spend. Am I wrong? That's a that's a reasonable question. Yes and no. Um, I think I, I do go in with an estimate as to how much I'm going to pay for my pitching staff, but it's an estimate. You're discussing the flexibility that you grant yourself at the table. And I do often set a cap of, I am not going beyond $80 on my pitching staff this year. And then I find a value compared to what I valued the player at that's so good that I will breeze past it by, you know, four or five bucks. And then I'll have an $84, $85 pitching staff. The first time I won labor, I told myself I was not spending more than $90 on pitching. It was a different time, granted. People weren't spending $90 in general, but I went over $100. Because Javier Vasquez in that year was a great value, one of his good expo seasons, and I could not let him go at what I had at four or five bucks underneath my prices. And it turned out to be the right call. You got to leave yourself some flexibility for that. And, and in the last couple of years in NL labor, I finished second every time with $200 for hitting and $60 for pitching because I've been able to find Mike Fultonevich for a dollar in his great year and closes on the cheap. And I'm just coming so just barely short of winning overall, uh, where you know the draft didn't didn't affect that. So I think you can do it both ways. I'm just I'm not saying it has to be 60 when I go in. It just ends up being like that. To answer this guy's question, I would tend to have an anchor or two, whether it's a standard or an AL or NL only. So some of the favorite anchors that I have at the prices they might be going for. Um, let me look at your prices here and see what they are. And we'll note here that that when when this question is asked. I generate those dollar values, so it's a little tricky for me to do it. I did come up with a staff. We're going to see what you can, can come up with here. All right. I opened a file that doesn't have <laughs> – oh, so this has auction prices only in the top 300 but not by position. Okay. Now, it should down in the pitcher section if you if you click to the pitcher section. Yeah, I did, and it doesn't have it. Um, okay. okay. Yeah, just, it's just age. Yeah. No, that's fine. I, in a general sense, I want to build with – a couple – I may not spend the most money on DeGrom, Cole, um, Scherzer, but I do like Bieber, Luis Castillo. Um, what are the prices in general? That, let me see what the prices you have on them. It's got to be around 30 bucks, I would think. 
maybe 25. Not so you've got Bieber at 25. So that to me, that's a good price because I think he's better than that. Um, you've got Charlie Morton at 20. I would probably start a staff, not with the top aces, but some combination of Bieber, Clevenger, Corbin, Morton. If I could get two or th- two of them at less than like, Fifty bucks. I think that's pretty good. I think five bucks. By the way, I think you're pulling the twelve teams on those ones, so I'll give you a little discount on them. You get Bieber in a ten team at twenty three, and you get uh, you in a Castillo at seventeen. That's those are prices I would definitely spend. I, I would obviously an AL or NL only. They're, they're worth more. Mm-hmm. Um, so forty bucks on your first two. Great. I like that. Now you know me. I tend to not spend double digits on any of those starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. But we're wasting time talking about my theories because they're not working. So what do you do in your leagues? How do you build a staff? I try to go with at least I, – I, I've been this year trying to go with on ace, and that is getting the DeGrom or the Garrett Cole in an AL or an NL. And in a mixed league, I'm trying to get one or the other. And in the event that, that people – pay through the roof, we're talking 40-plus for either pitcher, then I let him go and try and get two guys who are close to the 20 to $25 range. So I'm comfortable with everybody at this pri- at these prices. Otherwise, why did I put these prices on it? But when I built my staff, I went with Walker Bueller at 29 first. I, I really like Walker Bueller. I think he's got the potential to, especially in a shortened, abbreviated year now, to be the number one pitcher in all of fantasy baseball. Yeah. So he, he leads my staff – I'd go with a cheap $12 Tyler Glasnow as my two. I took Edgar uh, Edwin Diaz at $8 as my top closer. Nick Anderson as my second at six. Love Frankie Montas, took him at six. I'm a big Max Freed fan, taking him at five. Julio Arias, another guy, benefits from the abbreviated year, I think, $3. Josh James of the Astros. Eric, I know you just wrote about the Astros and mentioned Josh James. I'm picking him going against your guy for $2. And my $1 last pitcher is Reynaldo Lopez. So a, t- a $72 pitching staff here keeps it under 80 bucks, And I could upgrade one of those if I wanted to. Right. And I would probably take a couple of your double-digit pitchers and make them $5 pitchers. Like if I could get Zach Gallon for 5 bucks, If I could get Kenta Maeda, I don't care that he's older. I like him. <laughs> I think he's going to have a good season. I, I People are clearly not spending much. The money on Mike Miner for what he did last year. I will. Um, that means I can get him for single digits. Two dollars uh, and the ten teamer. He's two dollars. Oh my god, yes. And a ten teamer, man. I will. I, I might have five of my seven starting pitchers, or five or six, be like three, two or three dollars if that if they're going that cheap. That's mm-hmm. crazy. And that's why I think in the 10-team standard, you can go with the ace. You can spend the $40 in Garrett Cole and go with nothing but one to three. Right, that's different. Rest. And the other thing you can do there is you could be more likely to take a chance on a guy like Tyler Glassman because in a 10-team league, you know that nobody is drafting a lot of decent starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. So if Glassman does get hurt again, which might happen, you know, you can go out and Sandy Alcantara is available or Garrett Richards isn't getting drafted. He'd be available or Josh Lindblom or – Aaron Savali or Mitch Keller, Miles Mikolas, they're all going to be available in a 10-team standard league, and they're all maybe not blessed with tons of upside. Like It's certainly not like glass now, but, you, you know, you take a chance. I'd be more, in a 10, I don't think I've done a 10-team auction yet. I don't know if I would. <laughs> like, it's such a shallow thing. It's like I'd rather have a deeper league. So, like, I much would rather do, like, it, like Town is more than 10 teams, the mixed one that I did. I like um, Tout's format with 15 teams. I think in a mixed league, 15 is the ideal for an auction. I'll yes, I agree with that. I will do 12, but 15, you can manipulate the prices a little bit less than in a 12. All right. 
What's next? That's all we got for Hash Browns today. We did touch on a few earlier, but we've got Bad News Bears coming up Thursday. So if you've got questions regarding the movie or anything baseball, feel free to get at me at Kyle Sapi ESPN on Twitter. Happy to take it. We'll be doing it Thursday morning. I, I've come up with, you know, 700 11 names for Tristan's trivia question, Eric. Do you got any, uh, any directions? <laughs> the, pro- yeah. the problem with the question, okay, and not to rip on Tristan, it's just... I, I, Oddly specific? It's just, it's just, I think I can say this word, it's a crapshoot. It's, it's not a normal question where you would say, like, when he said, when I had a question a couple weeks ago, or last week, I have no idea, like, who were the players with this much war? That's a finite answer. You know, you're not just guessing. You're like, you're trying to think of Eddie Matthews had this many seasons with a, a seven war. There's an answer to it. This one is just like, I don't, I'm just, I, it, you or I, in other words, somebody with great yeah. base expertise does not have an advantage over somebody who doesn't. This so is, I'll, I'll take, take your guess. Let's do a draft. You, you guess first. This, this is more for the listeners who remember the experience of having the players. That's why I picked this question. There's only oh, so many yeah. times I can ask you the question where the answers are Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer. Yo, no, no, that's fair. I'm not. I'm not being critical. I'm just. No, I know. I know. I'm, there was one question I came up with where yeah, it was those same six pitchers and then one guy who was out there in the middle of nowhere and. Anyway, that I like. <laughs> right. I like. All right, I'll bring you that uh, one on Thursday. But for this no, one, no, no, no. don't don't change for me. I'm just I, I I'm just trying to. I'm making a bad. I'm not giving a good answer. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, but let's let's do like a draft form. Like if you said who led the league in home runs in 1990, that'd be like I'd have to think about it. But there'd be an like Cecil Fielder. That was his year. All right. So, I was going to ask you who had the longest hitting streak in baseball last year because that's not an easy one either. That was my original I, one. I don't think I know that either. The answer to that is Wilson Ramos. I was the Wilson Ramos. Yeah, that was that was a good one. I would have I would have taken me probably as many guesses as this will. I'm taking me more because at least now I can come. Up, I know who hit 30 home runs. It's like 100 players that did it. All right. All right so the, the question itself was: Who are the five players who had streaks of at least five uh, homers in a, at least five games in a row? Jorge Soler. No. <laughs> Nolan Arenado. Not Nolan Arenado, no. Nelson Cruz. Nelson oh. Cruz is one of the Damn. five. Well done. Yeah, he was one of mine. Trevor Story. Somebody in Colorado had it. Eric team. just wrote the name of this player in a very recent column. One of the five. Alex Bregman? No. Yeah, had to be Houston? No. As a matter of oh, fact. Jordan, a- Jordan Alvarez. Two of them. Jordan? No. You're fading one of them. Who was number two? Oh, Pete Alonzo. No. Well, I'm fading him. You were the right. You were on the right team before. The fading player on the team you were talking about a minute ago. Altuve. Jose Altuve is one of the five, but he's not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> I, you know how long ago I wrote these? I, I <laughs> your Astros fade, and I'm totally with you. And I was bringer, really bringer. Surprised. Oh, uh, Guriel, Guriel. Yuli Guriel is one of them. Yep. So that's three of the five. He had the shortest distance on his home runs of anybody with thirty or more. He's not hitting 30 again. <laughs> I'm glad you're on board now, on that. Here's a streaky guy, Josh Bell. Not Josh Bell, no. Eddie Rosario. Not Eddie Rosario. Now, one of these players does hit from the same side as that, and he's a very popular fantasy option because of the positions he plays. We're getting cryptic and more and more cryptic. With these Stress the plural. Jeff McNeil? No. 
I, I don't. Your hint leaves me flummoxed. We didn't talk about the Dodgers and their DH benefits. They have a lot of players that like to mix and match, but they have a player there who's left-handed, hits for a lot of power, and he can manage multiple positions. And maybe play a lot. No, no. Max Muncy. 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 And the one you guys have left out is the only player to homer in six games in a row last year. This is the one we should remember. We should remember? Is it like a Yelich or something like that? No, but this was brought up a lot when he was doing it, and he had a slow start to the year, and then he went back to his classic productive ways, and he does that a lot. It's got to be an old guy. Come on, Eric. Josh Donaldson. No, but you got generally the right idea. <laughs> there are, there, what, like a four-letter first name? Is that what we're... There are some similarities to that. I'll give you the other hint here. here. Uh this player was replaced by an Eric Carabell favorite of 2019. <laughs> replaced? And he hit six in a row? He was replaced in the place he had played previously by an Eric oh. Carabell favorite. So this was his first year in a new team. Correct. That's the Josh oh, Donaldson. So that's, the, that's the comp he's making. Okay. First year on a new team. It's not Jorge Soler. No. No, I already guessed him. I already guessed him. Um, Machado. It's not Bryce Harper. No, it is not Bryce. Is it Edwin. What? I I don't remember Bryce Harper doing it. I think I would have remembered that. <laughs> this player, where he played previously, was replaced by one of the names you love to bring up because you are dead on about his replacement. Oh, Goldschmidt, Christian Walker, Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, yeah. I think we would have done better in September with that question. Yeah. Yeah, I was – well, once you said I was right, I'm, I'm yeah. right so few times that that's how I knew the answer because – That I was, was the best hint we got. <laughs> the only hint that I understood. I didn't even understand uh, most of his hints today. Yeah. But, yes, Christian Walker, who this year probably gets replaced by Kevin Crone, but who knows? <laughs> it's like – it's craziness. Or Jake Lamb, uh, great DH now. Jake – man, I can't be- – I, I remember interviewing Jake Lamb at spring training, thinking, oh, big year is coming. I talked to him. He was excited. And he has not hit since. It's not because of me. I just It's amazing to me how some players, Tristan, they, they're brimming with upside, and then maybe they have an injury or something or whatever, or something going on in their life that we don't know about, and then they're just never the same. But think about Jake Lamb, what he has not done since he was good. He actually, in, in the really good year, was awesome for four months, and then his production fell off the table practically overnight in that same year. I mean, he had a he had back he had a twenty nine homer and a thirty homer a season, mm-hmm. consecutive seasons, and he walked, yep. which we like. Now he never hit lefties, never hit for batting average, but thirty homers with a two fifty batting average will take. He, he's not even like on the board anymore. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that at the time, and we we see this in our sim leagues too, because people. are Somebody still has Jake Lamb in one of our sim leagues, and I'm like, why do you still have him? Well, because they thought he was going to be great. He was a 26-year-old 30-home run hitter. You would much rather have him at the time than like Josh Donaldson. And now look, and it's like Donaldson all of a sudden turned his career around and Lambs went away. So very interesting how this stuff goes down. And you're right, Jake Lamb's not even a guy I thought about, but with a DH rule. And Christian Walker's a really good first baseman. So maybe Lamb and Kevin Crone is the DH platoon in Arizona. It might well be. That's I'm going to be curious to see how they play that one out. 
I do think it benefits Lamb a little bit just based on him being lefty, more righties in the game. But my takeaway for today is that uh, you guys like war-related trivia. So there we go. Well, I mean, I just told one of our friends in a, that don't look at war for sim leagues. I mean, it's just it, – I, I just – I'm amazed still going through the rabbit hole of baseball reference. Every time I look up a player, you know what I do? You'll think this is geeky, geekier than what you're normal, normal you know, used to. I look up his best season and try to guess it for war. And sometimes it's not right because you don't know about the defense. You don't think about how the defense ratings are. But, like, I'm watching these games on TV, especially the old games, and I just love doing that. And I and I think Rick Sutcliffe, I was watching the um, the 84 game against the Padres, the game five. Yep. And Rick Sutcliffe went, like, 16-1 and one for the Cubs after the trade. And won the Cy Young Award, which doesn't happen often for guys traded between leagues. And I thought, what was his actual best season for war? Was it that year? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, which I think is interesting. His because, uh, best year by war was not the year he was traded. Because he was so-so with the Indians before that, wasn't it? Is that why? Um, yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, on here, it doesn't diff- – it was 84. So he was just he was league average for Cleveland over ninety four innings, but even for the Cubs, his WAR was not that great when going sixteen and one, which tells you that win loss record is absolutely meaningless. We've known this forever is absolutely meaningless when it comes to WAR or even doing value. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he won a Cy Young based on that. Now he had a good low ERA too, but I mean, like Lamar Hoyt won a Cy Young, Bartolo Colon. I mean, like they didn't deserve it. And I like looking back to see who deserved these awards based on war. And it, it turns out when Suckliff won the um, – was it the, it was the 84 Cy Young? Yeah. There was no one else. I mean, Gooden, Gooden was more deserving. He had a higher wins above replacement. He was 17-9 and nine, with a lower ERA, um, a higher, a much higher K rate. He had 270 in his case. Dwight Gooden should have won the Cy Young in 84. I didn't have a major issue with Suckliff, though, based on the, the per game within that singular league. This was a good year. Right. And and, and the last one I remember was CeCe Sabathia in 2008, the Brewers run, where he did pick up a first place vote in the Cy Young balloting. And I could see why. I mean, that comes into the argument as to if you don't give a a league an entire year's worth of stats, do you count them in the race? You shouldn't. Well, Well, then Willie McCovey won the rookie of the year. He went 16 and 1, and that's why he won the Cy Young. If he had gone 11 and 5, he wouldn't have. So run support played a major role in getting that player. And he's a nice guy. I know he won an award based on one loss record, whereas Dwight Gooden should have won the award. But he didn't. Anyway, we're done for today. I need to mention Buster Olney, the great Buster Olney, on his Baseball Today podcast. He has Terry Francona on the latest show to talk about Michael Jordan's time with the Birmingham Barons. Make sure to check out the daily Baseball Tonight shows on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast, the Michael Jordan Last Dance stuff is unbelievable. And people were tweeting about his baseball prospects yesterday. What they don't understand is he actually performed better than people thought he would. He batted 202 in double A. Got to give the guy some credit for that. It is hard to play baseball and be a hitter, okay, or a pitcher for that matter. But hitting 202 in double A when you haven't played regularly in 15 years is a huge accomplishment. Now, he was 31. If he was 25, maybe he would have been – a third or fourth outfielder in the majors at some point, but he was not a great baseball prospect, but he did overachieve, I would argue, in that season, 94, for Birmingham. If he had stuck with baseball, would he have been a good player? 
I don't know. Probably. Probably. From day one, you think if he never played basketball? Oh, yes. Then, yes. Okay. But by the time he he decided to do it for one year, like people are saying if the strike hadn't happened, the lockout of 95, would Jordan have been a good Major League Baseball player? And I say he would have been in the majors. This is not Tim Tebow. Jordan had different skills. But for him to hit 202, that's pretty good. Steve Wolf even had an article about it, which was published on ESPN. Yeah, that, we have reassess. Your, he did not fail. No. But he wasn't going to become a great star baseball player either. He was in a can't-win situation because you're taking him from God's status and putting him in a different field. Like, if he anything short of what he was in basketball was going to be seen as a failure, which it's terrible. Like, there was no way he was baseball was going to be seen as a success. Uh, yeah, he was in a tough situation there. And, man, I, I if you haven't seen the first eight episodes of this, and I'm not saying it because it's ESPN, I think everybody agrees, this is fantastic. The insight, the access, the quotes they're giving, the, the rivalries. That, that, that haven't gone away. Like, these players do not forget their enemies. It's unbelievable. I'm, I've forgiven my enemies over the last two months. These guys are not doing it 20 years later. I, I, I'm, look, I'm thinking of the White Sox. All right, here's a trivia question, Tristan. Name the White Sox outfield in 1995 that he was going to try to, you know, push his way through. 95? 95 White Sox starting outfield. I was, I was reading a quote from Michael Huff, who was one of the outfielders for them, but that might have been 94. 95? Was uh no George Bell was probably gone by then. Uh Sammy Sosa. No, he was gone. Sosa was gone by ninety five. Hmm. Or he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't on the team. Wow, I ne- I for- totally forgot about this guy. Oh, he's traded for George Bell. That's right. Um, hmm. Lance Johnson. Lance Johnson was a center fielder and a good fantasy option. He hit three hundred with forty steals. It was after Bo's time. Um, Hall of Famer was in that outfield. A Hall of Famers in that outfield. Was Harold Baines still there? No. Huh. Gosh. In fact, the infield had a Hall of Famer and the outfield had a Hall of Famer. The infield Hall of Famer obviously was Frank Thomas. Uh Uh-huh. But Tim Raines played left field. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah, right before the Yankee year. And right field was a combination of like Mike Devereaux, Dave Martinez, John Cruck. Oh, jeez. Wow. I never would have – Tim Raines – was a was a he had six hundred PAs. Yeah. How about that? All I, right, we've gone really long. Days. That's uh that's interesting stuff. He wouldn't have made he wouldn't have made like but they only really had two regular outfielders and no DH. So you know, we hear about the Mets promoting Tim Tebow aggressively because they want to make money on attendance. You don't think the White Sox would have done the same thing? The owner of the White Sox was the owner of the Bulls. Cross, yeah. yeah. So my lesson not Krause, is not, not, not about war. It's that not I, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Not, not I, that guy. What a joke. Yeah, I he, know. He, uh, Reinsdorf. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I should have asked you guys who are the three pitchers that Michael Jordan homered off of. I'll have to look that up. I'll work on it. I haven't heard of them. <laughs> They're in double A. Uh, you never know. Maybe one of them made it. I doubt it. One of them did not. Uh, we're done for today. Thank you so much for listening on Thursday's show. June Lee will join us again, and we will discuss Bad News Bears. I want to discuss only the original, not the second one. And not. And while the one 20 years later is fine, I want to discuss the original, Walter Matthau and uh, Jackie Earl Haley. And that's one of my favorite baseball, maybe my favorite baseball movie. It's just it's so much fun. But we'll discuss that on Thursday. And if you have questions, Get them in. That's all for today. Great job by Kyle Sapi, as always, and Tristan H. Cockcroft. I am Eric Carabell. Have an awesome week.